Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. All right, so this week we have a double portion. It's Ahare Mot and Kadoshim. After the death is Ahare Mot, speaking of the death of Nadav and, and Abihu, and then Kadoshim being holy or holy ones, if you will. But the, the topics this week, there are some deep topics because we have the Day of Atonement. You have the, and along with the Day of Atonement, you have the topic of the death of the righteous and how the death of the righteous atoned for the sin of the nation. And then we have four main criteria that are, that are listed as well. This is in Ahari uh, Mot. They go through four things to abstain from, which were idolatry, idolatry, blood, things strangled, and sexual immorality, which are all items from Acts 15, and were the basis by which the council at Jerusalem made the ruling that uh, non-Jews coming to faith in Messiah did not have to become legally Jewish and undergo circumcision. And then we come into this week's portion, which is Kadoshim and its holiness. And this morning, almost all the songs were focused on holiness and God's holiness. And... As Richard was saying before, there's such a connection between God extending himself and his holiness, but saying, no, you must come to me. I've extended myself to you, but you must return to me and enter into my holiness so that we can be together, so that we can have relationship and be, be one, right? And so this week, the holiness is what... I feel like the Lord is wanting us to focus on. If we look in Leviticus 19, verses 1 through 3, this is the beginning of Kedoshim. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. All right, so within this, there's a call to be set apart. And this phrase of you shall be holy for I am holy is mentioned, I believe, three times here in Leviticus. It's twice in, Kado- in here in this Kadoshim. It's how the portion opens up and it's how the portion ends. But Peter also speaks, he, during his message, he refers back to this passage. In 1 Peter 1, verses 13 through 16, He says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Yeshua Messiah. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, holiness is, is separation. It's something that is... It defines the quality of being set apart from what is normal. All right, so the seventh day of the week is holy. The six days of the week are not unholy, 
They're just common, right? So the difference between holiness and not being holy is that something is special versus something being common. Okay, so it's not inherently evil or inherently even good necessarily because even uh, those who are most depraved in society could be called Kodesh, set apart, according to the way that uh, it's understood, understood in, in Judaism. So there's some aspect of it set apart, but when we're talking about God being set apart, we're talking about his perfection, his holiness, his goodness. Okay, so it's it would be very rare for anyone to think, to use the word holy to define the depraved, right? But in the Hebrew, the word can work that way. In English, we wouldn't use that. We would use depraved to be set apart from normal, okay? So, but holiness... As, as God is, and as he's calling us to be, it's a state of being, like he has called us to be holy. He has set us apart as a special treasure unto himself through the work of Yeshua. But then he, he, that, that holiness then requires actions from us that would also set us apart from the rest of the world. Okay, so he has set us apart, and now we then act in accordance with our separateness. Okay. So in this word kadoshim, it uh, kadosh is the singular. Kadoshim would be the plural, and in this case, kadoshim is speaking of the holy ones. Or if you were to take it all the way through the Greek and the English, it would be the saints, the called out ones. Okay. Now, the rest of kadoshim, this in Leviticus nineteen and twenty, we're seeing a picture of what does holiness look like. And it's a large collection of commandments given to the children of Israel. And actually, in, as we read in Leviticus 19, it was speak to the entire assembly of the children of Israel. So it's like speak to everybody, all who are in their midst, and say this is what, this is what holiness looks like. And the sages see the importance of these commandments that are outlined in this portion um, as being essential commandments of the Torah. Specifically, a few that are listed in their commentary about it is about the aspect of revering parents, observing the Sabbaths, okay, because that's what it said, they shall observe my Sabbaths. And then there's uh, also the aspect of not stealing, of using uh, legitimate weights and measures in business dealings. Not taking revenge, not bearing a grudge, and loving your neighbor as yourself. Those are the ones that are most uh, focused on. But there's so many others that are listed in this portion, like giving charity by leaving the corners of your field unharvested, not taking false oaths, upholding justice, right, giving right judgments, not gossiping, and, and then there's just the list goes on and on. Now, Sforno, he knows that these commands, they all hearken back to the Ten Commandments. You know how we've talked many times that Yeshua said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God, and another is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And all of the Torah and prophets hang on those two commands. He was saying that those are the foundation from which all the other commandments come. From there, you can come to the Ten Commandments. From there, you can extend out to 
the rest of the commandments given here in the Torah. And that's some of what we're speaking of when we say that these commandments can all be related back to the ten. But he says that what's interesting to note in this is there's revering your parents and observing Sabbaths. Sforno says that these, these demand more than just minimum observance. As one walks the path of holiness, they must elevate their concept of what the Torah requires. Okay, so if you think even this would be a parallel to Yeshua with his Sermon on the Mount. He said, you know, you've heard you don't murder. You know, well, I'm saying, or, yeah, and if you hate your brother in your heart, then you've committed murder. He says, do not commit adultery. Well, if you've looked on another lustfully, then you've committed adultery in your heart. Okay, so he's, he's saying, he's taking it beyond just the, the minimum and saying, well, if this really has taken into your heart, then not murdering goes beyond just not actually killing someone. It's easy not to kill someone for most people. Okay, so then, okay, well now, how do you not assassinate their character? Okay, because a character assassination is a form of murder, right? And so we have to say, okay, well, if we're really going to take this to heart, we need to take it to its utmost ends. And as we're walking the path of holiness, the requirement of us fulfilling and really making the commandment come real in our lives has a greater measure that it's going to take place, if that makes sense. And so that's what Sforno is commenting on. So he says, the Torah teaches here in Leviticus 9, uh, 19, 1 through 3, as we're reading about honoring your parents and keeping God's Sabbaths. He says, it teaches here that respect for parents ordains not only that they be honored through personal service, but that it be done in a respectful manner. The definition of Sabbath observance goes beyond the seventh day of the week and includes the seventh year sabbatical of fields and loans, for they too testify that God is the creator and master of the universe. And, and he says, we are ex exhorted that the prohibition against idolatry includes not only acts of worship, but anything that shows them credence or respect, even when there could be some personal advantage in doing so. So it's an aspect of taking all these things really into your heart and letting them transform you. Not being able to say, well, I've done the bare minimum. It's like, well, where, do, where am I to go? How far into God's holiness can I press? He said, you shall be holy for I am holy. Well, his holiness is far beyond the basics of do not murder. Right? And so, as he reveals, as he calls us, we press in all the way into that holiness. So I want to go and focus on Leviticus 19, 9 through 10 to start here. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your, your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. That's... Leviticus 19, 9 through 10. Um, okay, so we've been called to emulate God's righteousness. And within this passage, God's calling us to be charitable with others, right? To be giving. God is merciful and charitable. So he calls us to be merciful and charitable. And he says... 
when you harvest your land that you've worked for, that you've toiled for, don't harvest all the way to the edges. Leave it for those who are without to come in and glean from it so that they too can eat of God's provision. And so with that, that idea of the generosity that God's calling us to is the key aspect of today's message. It's about generosity and stewardship. Now, when we talk about generosity and stewardship, there's a lot of things that we can go into because we, God has given us all kinds of gifts. He's given us time. He's given us talents, our abilities, and he's also given us resources, right? Some, some say time, talents, and treasure, okay? So we can go with that. And when it comes to generosity, we can be generous with those things, and we can steward them well, or we can not. We may actually steward them well, but not be generous in them. We may be generous, but not steward well, or we might do neither, right? But we're called to be both generous and to be good stewards. Now, today, I'm going to focus primarily on the aspect of the generosity with regard to giving. Now, if you've been around Emmaus Road very long, you know I don't have an annual giving message. And, uh, you know, often annual giving messages can make people uncomfortable. And I may not have given them in the past because it makes me uncomfortable, but it doesn't make me uncomfortable today. And it's not because the, mess- the sound system isn't working. It's because I'm, I have a new perspective. I have a new perspective. And I want to share the new perspective with you because I think it's going to be transformative for us individually and corporately. Now... In the past, I, I've talked about generosity, I've talked about multiplication, I've talked about all kinds of things, but I haven't like gone and said, okay, we're really going to dive into this aspect and this topic. And I feel like, I feel like what I'm realizing with that regard is that in not going through and giving explanation and understanding to, the, to this topic and taking more of the passive approach and hitting it popcorn style over the years, has actually not been good stewarding of the message of generosity and stewardship. So what's been taking place with me over the past few months is I've been, I've been asking a question to the Lord of why I'm seeing what I'm seeing in the body. I'm going to explain, explain more on that. And I feel like he's been kind of putting seeds in place, putting pieces around. And this week, just a massive coming together of these pieces began to take place, culminating in what we're talking about this morning and what we might end up talking about for multiple weeks because I don't know that we can cover it fully enough in one message. But we'll see. Okay, so we're going to see what happens. But... One, one verse that we will unpack uh, as we go through today, and maybe it'll be in the, the coming week as well, is Malachi 3, verses 7 through 12. 
From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? And he says, in your tithes and offerings, and specifically here it's in the Maaser and the Teruma. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Okay, so there's just a few things I'll highlight. There's God's talking about provision and protection when we walk in his commands and according to his ways and we give him what he has asked of us what actually belongs to him. Now, we're going to come back and we're going to look at it in more detail later on. But I wanted to introduce that because there's many elements in this that we will begin to talk about. But when I mentioned that there's a question I've been asking of God is, Lord, why do I see so many people struggling with their finances why do I, within the body of believers who love you and are seeking to walk in your ways, and yet we don't see this outpouring of abundance? So what's what's going on? And and so that's that's been a question that I've I've been asking. And. You know, over the past couple of months, I feel like God started to put some of the pieces in place. One of it was uh, Heaven and I went to a little retreat center out west of Houston back at the end of March. And while we were there, there were several things coming up, including this this verse about Malachi or from Malachi, and very much the aspect of what you see when people give unto the Lord with a willing heart and what he can do to create places of refuge, where he can be, create places of restoration for people, how we can really see the body functioning in full force. And, and, the, and just before I went there, I'd been contacted by this group called Enjoy, I-N-J-O-Y. Okay, so Enjoy. And it was a, it's a company that was started up by... Um, uh, John Maxwell, many years ago, he started this up with the purpose of trying to help uh, churches grow with um, giving, building funds, um, economic, or, you know, financial freedom, all kinds of aspects. And they they'd reached out to me, and I was like, oh, well, that's that's interesting that they're talking about capital campaigns because, you know, we would like to do a capital campaign at some point to begin looking at getting a building. And I'm not talking today about trying to start a capital campaign, just so you know. Um, but that that was that was when that was the reason why I actually responded to them. And I said, okay, well, I'll talk to you after we get back from this trip and go through Passover. And we began to I, when I talked with them, they were talking about, okay, well, you know, we've got these programs that can 
help you increase giving in your congregation, and then we can build a capital campaign. And, and uh, I was looking at their website while we were talking, and I saw this thing. It was called, I was broke, but now I'm not. And I said, and, it, and I saw there was this program to help people get their finances in order. And I said, what about this thing? And uh, she's like, oh, yeah, that's, that's something that, that we can do. We can, you know, give you some resources to help your congregation uh, become free financially, you know. And I almost started crying. Because I was like, I care more about that than I do about this giving and campaign that we were talking about. I want to know about that. And, and I had to hold back the tears because, like, what is hitting me? Because it's just this desire to see freedom. And, and so, um, so then, you know, that was a couple weeks ago that I had that conversation. And then just going through this, uh, I, I, well, yeah, I don't know. I, I had a conversation with our leadership team earlier this week, and then the next day, just things started to uh, all come together, like all these pieces of understanding about generosity and stewardship coming together, and about how we really have to have both for God to be able to pour out the blessings that He's wanting to pour into us. As I said, if we have good stewardship, but we're stingy, then we're not the vessel that God wants us to be. Because he wants to be able to pour into us and have the goodness overflow out of us. So if we're, if we're good stewards and he's pouring into us, but nothing's flowing out, well, that's not achieving the goal of the kingdom. If we're not good stewards, but we're really generous and he's pouring into us, then we're always scrambling and we can't effectively be generous okay we're like a broken cistern and so what he's looking to do is to transform our minds and our actions to get us into a position where he can pour out all the blessing that he desires to so that it'll flow into us and through us like have you ever thought about if somebody came to you and said you know what i think god wants to god wants to give a million dollars to his to the kingdom through you. What would your response be if you heard that? You'd be like, well, if you give me a million dollars, then I could do it. Right? But then there's the, well, are we going to wait for him to give us the million dollars for that to become a reality? Or are we going to say, you know what, God, you said that you want me to be a vessel that blessings flow through. Where do you want me to start being a blessing today? And then see if God won't open up the heavens to pour out blessing upon you to flow through and minister to his people. I believe that he will. Because that's faithfulness to his word and that's faithfulness to really what he's given. Because everything that we receive from God is his in the first place. It's not ours. He gives it to us to steward, but it is not ours. And there's a difference between the two. Because if, if we're just a steward with his possessions, then our primary goal is to do with what we have according to his will, not according to our will. Now, in the scripture, he gives us commands of what we're to do 
with the work of our hands, with our produce. How could he give us demands on what we're to do if he were not the owner of what we have? He is the owner of what we have. Right? And we are his. We are his treasured possession. And ultimately, if we get right understanding about his ownership and our stewardship and his generosity and what he'll do, then we can become the generous vessels that he wants us to be and he can bless us so that we can bless others. You know, um, Robert Morris says that we don't give to get, right? We give to give. That's pretty cool. Right? It's like, because if we give so that we can receive blessing, then there's a selfish element within it. But if we give so that we can be proven good stewards, that God can pour out more, then that allows us to give more. Right? That's a pretty cool picture. So, one of the things that's held me back in a way from talking about these things is just not being able to express it in this way that we're talking about today. Now, and also, too, it's some aspect that my thoughts on giving had changed over time and needed to be renewed. So I used to work in the corporate world a long time ago until, until uh, early 2012. I, I had a job working in the financial markets, and I left, I left my job in order to take a sabbatical to just pursue the Lord spend time with family and see where he would where he was leading me because I felt he was calling me to do that but before that we made God blessed us very much and we gave a lot you know if, if we didn't give 20% or more in a year it was a weird year because we wanted to pour out the blessings that God was giving us sure Yeah, God, God's a giver, and so as we give, He then gives to us, right? So they're, they're, but yeah, and as you said, we don't give to be seen or recognized by others because that's not the reward. And we also don't give so that we can be rich. It's like, oh, well, if I, if I give, God's going to bless me. So if I give, I can have the mansion. Well, we don't do that either, right? And so you're, you're right. It's don't let your right hand know what your left is doing. It's, it's essentially saying, give for the sake of God and his glory and his kingdom. I was going to say, sadly, that's the message of most people. Yeah, no, there's, there's a lot of prosperity yeah, gospel. The but part about that is they're missing the beauty of that because it, it's, it's not service anymore. It's still about you. Right. Yeah, it's, it's still very selfish. And the whole thing about giving and being generous is that you're actually saying, it's not about me. You're saying, you know what it is? It's I'm taking care of others or I'm giving to God's kingdom so that his name can be made great. He doesn't say give, give expecting nothing in return. Right. Yeah, you give not expecting a return. You be a good steward and serve humbly, not expecting that you have deserved something. You've just done what a servant ought to do. That's what the scriptures say. I, I think it's Luke 17 or maybe it's not. I may, I may have that wrong. But yeah, you don't. the servant does not come in 
and expect to recline. He comes in after a day's work and serves his master, and then after he sits, right? So this is the aspect. And so if we really are giving according to the desire that God wants us to give with, then we're doing it not so that we can receive anything, but we do know that God is going to pour into us, but it's for the purpose of us continuing to be a blessing, an even greater blessing, right? And so now when I left my job, I went to no income and, and it became, well, how do I give? And well, what happened is we, we said, we went to no income. So now we need to cut expenses and we need to be frugal. We work to become better stewards. But where did our generosity go? Our generosity started to go down along with everything else, right? Because it just doesn't seem to make sense that we could continue to be as generous, does it? Well, not by man's standards, but who knows what God would have done had we continued to walk in great generosity. Okay, so I don't know, but I do know God's faithful. And I do know that when Yeshua saw the woman giving the two mites in the treasury, he didn't say, look how foolish she is. He said, look how beautiful her gift is, right? But so we cut expenses, our giving went down. And then even in those first six months, we had some big financial challenges. Our AC had to be replaced. Our foundation had to be repaired. We got termites. <laughs> we had a lot of challenges that were being thrown at us. So here we are, we're cutting expenses. We're getting cash hemorrhaging. And so then, you know, a couple of years later, when I started to actually make some money working part time, it was like, well, okay, we can tithe, but, you know, we still are having to be really frugal. So we, we would tithe, but where was the real generosity, right? So there's, there's a mindset that we can work ourselves into where it's like, okay, well, now I need to be really careful and guard everything I have. And so then we lose the generosity aspect. That makes sense. Not that we lost all generosity, but I'm just saying, I need a renewal. I need a renewal of the mind. And so, so we do. We continue to give, uh, and we tithe unto the Lord. And when I was looking at what we've done this year, I was like, okay, well, all right, we, we gave then, we gave then. And I'm like, oh, we missed last month. I need to make up this month for what we missed last month. And it's like, well, how did I miss? I'm supposed to give the first to the Lord, right? Because we give the best to the Lord, not the leftovers, right? Who do you give the leftovers to? You give the leftovers to the dog, okay? You, you, so it's like, I've got it backwards. And so I, I went and I set up recurring giving. <laughs> like, I'm going to take care of that baseline with the recurring giving, and then I'm going to give over and above on as you know as I feel led but I'm going to take care of that and we get the recurring giving going so um but anyway I the the whole giving the leftovers right that's that's not the biblical aspect and even that goes all the way back to Cain and Abel right if we looked in Genesis 4 3 through 5 the scripture says in the course of time Cain brought, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their, their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was angry and his face fell. So we might ask, well, what's the problem? They both brought an offering. And we might say, oh, well, you know, 
Abel saw that really animal sacrifice was preferred to grain sacrifice. And so that was the problem. But we can't go there because we know that in Leviticus, there's the Ola and there's the Mincha. There's the animal offering and there's the grain offering. And then we also know that if someone doesn't have sufficient means, they can actually be, bring grain in place of an animal sacrifice at times. Okay, so that's not the problem in Genesis. The problem was that Cain brought an offering, an offering from the fruit of the ground. It doesn't say he brought the first or the best from the ground. It says Abel brought the first from his flock. So they brought, both brought from the produce of their hands, the, the, the labor that they were able to do. But one gave the premium, one did not. And that was the problem. Okay? And I think the problem here is recognizing where did the crop come from and where did the animal come from? Where did the flock come from and where did the crop come from? Abel knew it came from God and it belonged to God. Cain said, I worked for this. It's mine. God can have what's left after I'm done. So the question is, is God our provider? And is everything his? And if so, how then do we live? Now coming back to leaving the corners of the field. The first thing a person does after they have labored and toiled and their harvest has come in is they go out to get the harvest, but they leave the corners and the edges for the poor. But at that point, are they done? Have they done all that they need to do in order to say, now it's mine? And the answer to that is no, they haven't. And they must discharge, this is a commentary of the sages, that a Jew must discharge his responsibilities to others before he regards his crops as his own. Even at the moment of his harvest, when a full season of labor comes to its climax, he must leave part of his crop for the poor before he takes for himself and his family. Now, um, the sages say that the minimum that, that should be left is one sixtieth of the field. But people would leave according to how generous they wanted to be. Okay, so if you walked by a field and you saw massive corners, you'd be like, wow, that person is very generous. If you saw one sixtieth left, you'd say, okay, well, at least they're meeting the minimum. If you saw it fully harvested, you'd say, well, they're stingy, right? They're not giving as God has said. And not that people were harvesting their field that way in order to show off, right? I'm just saying you would be able to see to what degree did they want to be generous. But now, even then, they're still not done because there are three components of a tithe that are given from the crops. Okay? There is a teruma gadola, which is the first fruits which are given to the priest. And again, this is something that varies according to uh, the generosity of a person. And now the first thing that comes from, from the, this harvest is the, um, aside from the, you know, the, where they harvested to, is the Truma Gadola. This is a portion that is given to the priests. And on average, it's said that it was about 2% of the harvest. And what they say in, uh, I think this is in the, uh, it's either in the Mishnah or Midrash, I'm not sure. It says, the man with the good eye 
gives one fortieth. Okay, and the average man gives one fiftieth, and the man with the evil eye gives one sixtieth. Okay, so it's kind of in the ballpark of one and a half to three percent, because this the stingy yeah. So one and a half to three percent is this first part that's given specifically to the priests, and then after that. There is the Maaser Rishon, which is the first tithe given to the Levites. That's a 10% portion. And then there's a second tithe, the Maaser Shani. Now, this is one, it's another 10% that's taken and set aside for the purpose of being eaten in Jerusalem at the festivals. So... And the, and the way that it, the way that it's done is in the first, and it's all done through the sabbatical year cycle. Okay. In the first year, second year, fourth year, and fifth year, it's taken to Jerusalem and the person whose harvest it is, he eats it and celebrating unto God and he shares it to, as he's eating it with the poor and the Levites. In years three and six, he does not eat of it, but he gives all of that to the poor and to the Levites there in Jerusalem or actually even in the cities. Um, but then in the seventh year, there is no Maaser Shani because there was no planting and harvesting. Okay, so that's how those tithes work. <clears throat> now, what we are saying in, in regard to this, so once he's done all those things, the rest is his. Okay. The rest is his. Now, as we said too, okay, a person must discharge his responsibilities to others before he regards his crops as his own. The giving aspects to God and to the poor and to the Levites, right? And now then the, the question is, even when it becomes his own, is it really his own? Or is it still God's that God has just gifted it to him? And that's what I believe it is. It's still a gift from God. Because everything in all of the world belongs to God. Now, First Fruits of Zion had a little article on this. I thought it was great. Uh, just talking about this, this aspect of leaving the, the corners of the field. And they said, it's not easy to leave the corner of a field unharvested, especially when you might be having trouble making ends meet yourself. How did the farmer find the resolve to follow this instruction. He had only to remember that the land did not really belong to him. He was only a sharecropper, so to speak, working the soil on God's land. And since it was God's land, all the produce thereof was God's. But God, being rich in his mercy and charitableness, gave to the farmer that the farmer could live, prosper, and give. Right now, with this, there was a a working together. What is it? I mean, that's also great faith, as they went through famines all the time. Yes. And even though there was not enough food, they still left. They still left it there, even if there wasn't enough for the for the towns. Yes. That's right. It is absolutely great faith to bring the first to God, because then you're believing that He's going to bring the rest. It's great when they have a huge harvest and you know maxing out the storehouses, but when they went through the, the famines, that they uh, still have to have that faith in the Lord. 
Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It, it is, it, it, it's a test of faith to give the first to God. But it's, it's not really a test when we realize that He is faithful. And in His Word, He says that He will provide for us when we walk according to His ways. And part of walking according to His ways is giving according to how He is said to give, which is really returning to Him what is His. Um, so, a couple of things about everything belonging to the Lord. So, let's just look here. Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. And also in Psalm 50, 10 through 12. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. He's saying, I have everything I need. Everything is mine. But what I'm asking you to do is to come and partner with me and to walk according to what I'm telling you to do. I'm going to give you part of what I have so that you can work with me in the restoration of this world. But part of you working with me is to realize and acknowledge that everything you have is from me. And the way that you really come to understand that everything that you have is from me is that you say, God, this is from you, and I'm giving you back the portion that you said that you wanted. You might ask, well, why didn't God just give 90%? I'm just going off the tide. Why don't you just give 90% instead of the 100 and just keep the 10% that he wants? Because that wouldn't accomplish in us what God wants. He wants the transformation of the heart that says, everything I have is from you. And therefore, everything I have is at your disposal and to be deployed according to your will. And so if you ask me to give above and beyond the 10%, I'm going to give above and beyond the 10%. If you say give to this person in need, I'm going to give to this person in need. And I'm not going to worry about it. What does that require? It requires a submitting and saying it's not about me. It requires a faith. And this is the revelation that we need. And this revelation is not just that we're generous, but we say, okay, well, God, how do you want me to use the money that you've given me, even in how it sustains me and my family? Do you want me to spend every last dollar I have on the house we're going to live in? Likely not, okay? Because that's not going to leave a lot of room. <laughs> and so it requires this, this revelation. Even in Leviticus 19... 23 through 25. This is, uh, okay, the scripture says, When you come into the land and plant any kind of tree for food, for food, then you shall regard its fruit as forbidden. Three years it shall be forbidden to you. It must not be eaten. And in the fourth year all its fruit shall be holy, an offering of praise to the Lord. But in the fifth year you may eat of its fruit to increase its yield for you. I am the Lord your God. Now look at that. You plant a tree, and when it produces fruit in those first three years, you burn it. I'd like to keep it, because it seems to make sense. But look at this tree. I mean, I'm so proud of this tree for growing and getting fruit on it, and I'm excited. Look at that. It ripened, and then I'm going to burn it. Okay, that doesn't make much sense. And then, in the fourth year, all its fruit shall be holy, an offering of praise to the Lord. So it's brought 
to the Lord and eaten in his presence. And then in the fifth year, you're to eat of its fruit that its yield may increase for you. You see that? Here's the, the promise of what's going to take place when you walk according to God's purpose and how to treat that is that its yield will increase. So the little bit that you gave up on in those first few years are insignificant in comparison to the increase that is going to come in the harvest. I'm pretty, I, I don't know, I don't know how they uh, trim it in the first few years. They, they likely do train it up in the way it should go. Um, so, um, okay, so, so here, now here, when we look more at this, right? Rashi, his comments on this is that in the merit of observing the commandment to deprive yourself of the profits and enjoyment of your crops for four years, your future crops will be increased. Now the sages say, although they, they say that God is saying, God says, although I have promised you increased prosperity in return for your performance of this commandment, do not perform it for that reason. Fulfill all commandments because I am the Lord and you wish to do my will. That is what we're talking about. We don't give to get. We give to give. All right? There was a something that happened not too long ago. Um, someone was in need of money for something that uh, they felt like the Lord was wanting them to do. And for a couple months, I've been hearing the stories about that and um, praying with them for the provision. And, and one day uh, they, they left and they came back and they said, I just feel like I'm supposed to give this uh, as an offering. And they, they handed me some money. And when they handed it to me, they didn't say what, I didn't ask any questions, but I knew that they had just been given this money and that it was part it would have been seen as part of what God was doing to meet their need. I just knew it. And when they gave it to me, I, I didn't look at how much it was. I just put it in my pocket and I was like, Lord, I had just asked that you would multiply this a hundred times over. And I just kept praying that God would multiply what that person gave because I knew that it was just like the widow's mites. I knew it. And It was a couple weeks later. They were given an amount that was uh, at least 15 times what they handed me. I believe more is coming. But it was at least 15 times. And I was just like, praise God. And then what did I see right after that? I saw a part of it come back as an offering. More than the original offering that was given. That was giving to give. That was giving to give because that took faith. That took, you know what? This is a big chunk of what I need. But God said, give it. And it doesn't make sense from my physical aspect, but I believe that God will meet my need even if I'm pouring out. And he poured in. He opened up the windows of heaven until it was overflowing beyond that immediate need. 
That's our God. He is charitable and he is merciful. He just says, do you have the willing hand? Do you have the open hand that I can pour into? And then can you steward what I pour into it so that I can pour in more? Because I want to pour in more. I want to open the heavens to pour out blessings that you can't contain. Not so that you can become rich. There's nothing wrong, though, with prospering, right? I'm not saying there's anything wrong with prospering. But it's not so that you can be a reservoir that just continually fills up, but one that overflows. So that you have plenty, but then your, your plenty becomes plenty for others. So we need both the stewardship and we need the generosity. And we, you know, uh, James talked about how this is a test, right? Or that it requires faith. So let's look at Deuteronomy 8, 11 through 18. The scripture says, Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought, your, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your, fa- that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Here it is. Look at the prosperity that God has given you. Don't let it make you become dull so that you forget that every good and perfect gift comes from above and that all your ability to create that produce comes from him. The ground that you work, the crop that you bring in, and when I say the ground you work and the crop you bring in, I mean, that goes beyond if you're farmers because I know none of us are really farmers in here. That's the gift, that's the work that God has given us to produce and create wealth in this world and um so there's a test in it the test to see will we remember god and that it's his and then will we give according to how he has called us to give so that his will may be done on the earth but also in us because it if he has all the world and all the world's his does he really need what we're giving to accomplish his purposes No, but what he needs is for us to be transformed such that we get beyond ourselves and start saying it's not about me, it's about my master and about his production, his resources, and how do I align myself with that. And when we do it, we see great blessing pour out and unfold. Right. Yeah. Yes, and, and the aspect of the heart. 
So we're, we're, gonna, we're not going to go too much longer, but I do want to go to Matthew 6, 19 through 24. This is, uh, this is a great passage for, well, where am I? Is it up there? Nope. Matthew 6, 19 through 34. Thank you. Or 24, sorry. Okay, Matthew 6, 19 through 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Notice that, guys. It says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart will follow your treasure. The eye is the lamp of the body. And if your eye is healthy or if your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is evil, your whole body will be full of darkness. That phrase of a good eye and an evil eye has to do with generosity or stinginess. And it's not just what I read earlier out of the Mishnah. It come, it's also in Deuteronomy uh, 16, I believe, when God's talking about the, the Shemitah year coming and your fellows in need. He says, you shall not look on them with a bad eye. You will not look on them with an evil eye, but you will give to them. Okay, so that's the context that Yeshua is talking about here. He's like, generosity causes light within you. Stinginess, darkness. It says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now that's saying you can't have money and serve God, right? That's saying that who's your master? Is God the owner of your money or are you the owner of your money? So in other words, it's like, what's making the shot? What's calling the shots? Who's calling the shots? So is your treasure within God? Because if it is, that's where your heart's going to be. If your treasure is in your wealth, then that's where your heart's going to be. All right? If your heart follows your treasure. Now, one other thing that kind of wrapping up, we, there's several things we'll talk about next week, God willing. God calls us to be holy for He is holy. He calls us to have a heart transformation where we walk according to his ways and his word beyond just the basic letter of the law. That's why even there can be a tithe that is the Lord's, but yet he will call us to go above and beyond that, right? Just like the offerings brought in the temple to draw near to God, many of them were free will offerings. They were costly, but they were free will offerings to draw near to God and to give him glory. So even beyond a tithe, there are free will offerings that we make as part of the generosity under the one who has been so generous unto us. Now, after we have gone and done these things, right? So within the scriptures, after a person has gone and they have made their offerings, as the Torah says, at the time that they are bringing the second tithe to the temple, they make a profession before God in Deuteronomy 26. 
Um, Deuteronomy 26, verse 12 through 19. When you have finished paying all the tithe of your produce in the third year, which is the year of tithing, giving, giving it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat within your towns and be filled. So this is talking again, as we said earlier, the second tithe. Then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the sacred portion out of my house, and moreover I have given it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow, according to all your commandment that you have commanded me. I have not transgressed any of your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. I have not eaten of the tithe while I was mourning, or removed any of it while I was unclean, or offered any of it to the dead. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord my God. I have done according to all that you have commanded me. Look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people Israel and the ground that you have given us as you swore to our fathers, a land flowing with milk and honey. So even as he's making this proclamation that he's obeyed the Lord, he's now saying, Lord, I know that you promised to pour out blessings. So Lord, now that I've done this, I've walked in obedience, Lord, may you bring forth the rest of the harvest. May you bring forth abund abundance. And then the scripture continues, this day the Lord your God... Um, commands you to do these statutes and rules. You shall therefore be careful to do them with all your heart and with all your soul. You have declared today that the Lord is your God and that you will walk in his ways and keep his statutes and his commandments and his rules and will obey his voice. And the Lord has declared today that you are a people for his treasured possession as he has promised you and that you are to keep all his commandments and that he will set you in praise and in fame and in honor, high above all nations that, that he has made, and that you shall be a people holy to the Lord your God as he promised. Right? Here it is. Be holy, for I am holy. Emulate me. Walk according to my ways from the heart. And when you've done these things, that will be the fullness of the confirmation of, yes, that, that says that you are mine. That distinguishes you as mine because you don't just say, I know what your word is, but I do your word. Because it's the coming together of being made holy by God and making ourselves holy through walking in his ways. Because he says both. He says, I'm the Lord your God who sanctifies you. Now sanctify yourself. Right? He calls us to do both. So that we might be like him. So within within all of this, it's not a call to give out of compulsion. It's a call to renew our minds and to tune our hearts to God's ways and say, Lord, you're the master of all things. You're the owner of all things. And you have blessed me immensely. I, in turn, want to bless my neighbor and you. And I will give according to your desire. And so, that's the call. And as we go forward in this, we have responsibilities of saying, how do I steward what God has given me well? And then how do I go walk in generosity? Now, next week, God willing, we'll talk more about um, more of basis around this and some about the aspect of the first fruits offering and digging a little bit deeper into the Malachi 3 passage 
with regard even to the Maser and the Truma. And understanding a little bit more about those and how they relate to thanksgiving and gratitude. Um, we are short on time, but anybody have anything that you wanted to tailor? Like with the heart transformation that you're talking about, it's about the Lord, it's about his kingdom. I'm thinking about our time and our resources. And how those are just as important as commodities. Uh-huh. And I know specifically you're talking about money today. But as a stay-at-home mom, I have more time. Just thinking about what are ways that I can be focused on the kingdom in my situation where I'm at. Like with making meals for people, hosting people, giving of myself, giving of whatever I have of my ability uh-huh. for the kingdom. Like that to me is just as important. I mean, finance is yeah. super important. But I would just want to mention that today. Like, what what do you have that you can give? Yeah. You know, that you can not. Is that something you want? You know, yeah, absolutely. That is wonderful because, you know, even as you were talking earlier about time, talents, and treasure, all of those are gifts from God that we can then share and, and that we can be generous with. And we can, you know, when I, when I look at this congregation, we are a generous people. The giving that gets poured out for people in need, the, the meals that are brought, the people who will drop what they're doing to come and help. I can speak to that very well back when we moved. There were many who blessed us so much, and we never would have been out of our house in time had it not been for so many people coming to help. And that's just one example. And um, so, yes, all those aspects of how are we stewarding our time? How are we generous with our time? How are we stewarding the talents and resources God has given us? Um, so all of that comes together, but it's, and, and that, that's, it's one of these things where if we develop this mindset and this mentality, it will flow into all those areas because it can't just stop at finances. It goes into everything. It goes into marriages. It goes into, you name it. Where can you be generous and kind and giving? Yes, Richard. Um, last part of my notes, explaining what, what Taylor I didn't think he was talking about finance. I thought you were talking about you know, that was, that was the way I, I understood it. Uh, I said, do not give to receive, like you said, but give to be like God. Be set apart to be like God. Be righteous to be like God. Bear his image, bear his light to the world. And then you time your talents, your resources. Where do you invest them? In the Lord or yourself? Yes. Because there your heart will be. Amen. Amen. Because it does. It's so much more dynamic than one point. Yep. Just like the commandments are so much deeper than just this surface level aspect. Yeah. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we bless you and we thank you. We thank you for the kindness and the mercy that you bestowed upon us. We thank you, Lord, that every good and perfect gift comes from above. Help us, Lord, to live for you from the heart that we would be a people wholly set apart unto you, that we would walk in your ways, that we would be vessels, that your blessings flow through to bless others, that we'd be blessed to be a blessing. Lord, give us a strengthening that we would pass the test, that we would have faith in you, that we would walk in your goodness.
and give glory to your name. And may your body be built up. May your body be built up and may we be blessed in this. Not that we seek the blessing, but we seek you and we know that you are the one who gives abundant provision. Lord, we thank you and we ask these things in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas.